All right, 2 Samuel chapter number 9 this morning, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of David, or of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant? that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread alway at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Let's go back and read verse 12 once more. I want you to notice something with me. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the time that you've given us. I'd ask, Father, that your spirit would breathe upon this place. Lord, that you'd move in our hearts and lives. Well, God, we have such need of you this morning. Above any and everything that we could want or desire, we have a need of You to move and to speak to hearts, to conquer and to win battles in our lives this morning. And I just pray, Father, that You'd help us to be strengthened. And God, that You'd do in us that which would bring You the most glory. Lord, if there's any amongst us lost and undone, show them their great need of Calvary, and we'll be sure to thank You for it. Lord, we love You, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we have the story of a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, I've preached a lot of sermons on Mephibosheth. You've probably heard a lot of sermons about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is the grandson of Saul. He's the son of Jonathan. And uh, if we were to pick out a characteristic about him that most people would, uh, would think of right away, we would mention that he was paralyzed. He was lame on both of his feet. And we see in Mephibosheth a picture of the grace of God. Now, most of the time when you hear a preacher preach on Mephibosheth, that's what they'll talk about. They'll talk about God's grace. God's grace is a mighty and a wonderful thing. What a day it was when God came down to my load of art. And when He picked me up and fetched me the way that He fetched Mephibosheth. 
I was on the same path that Mephibosheth was on to. I was living in Lodabar, the land of no bread, place of no hope, no future, no answers. God came by my way and found me, saved me by His grace, picked me up from where I was at, took me and placed me at the king's table. What a picture of God's amazing grace. But I'm struck by a phrase in verse number 12. You know, there's times when you read the Bible, and I don't know if you ever have experienced this, but I have. I'll read the Bible, and and there'll be a verse or there'll be a statement. And I mean this reverently, but it, it sort of seems out of place. It's something that is not necessarily organic to the story. And as you read it, sometimes there'll be something that catches your eye, and you think, well, I just wonder why God put that in there. Let me say that everything in this book, God put in here. and It's all there on purpose. And so as we read our Bible, when we come to places like that, we ought not run away, we ought not duck our heads, we ought not look for some different Bible that says it differently or try to explain it away, but we ought to just bunker down and pray and ask God to show to us that which He's trying to tell us. You know, it's a wonderful thing knowing the author of the book that you're reading. Amen? Being able to talk to Him any time that you need to. And in verse number 12, the Bible goes out of its way to tell us this truth about Mephibosheth. Notice it again, just the first phrase. The Bible says that Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. Now, as I read the story of Mephibosheth, the name Micah doesn't come up very often. In fact, here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, it's the only time that it comes up. Micah plays no integral part in the story of Mephibosheth. We don't know about, you know, the name Mephibosheth literally means dispeller of shame. No doubt they had high hopes for Mephibosheth. Jonathan did when he named him that. He was hoping that maybe Mephibosheth would dispel the shame that his daddy Saul had brought onto their family. But the name Micah is not found anywhere else in this chapter. We don't know of anything great that Micah goes on to do. He may have lived an extraordinary life. He may have lived a very ordinary life. We do not know. But the Bible goes out of its way to tell us this truth, that amongst all the things that Mephibosheth was, he was a daddy. You see, as we begin to examine this story in the context of a father's behavior, and I know this is going to sound strange, but I want to preach for a few moments on this thought of Mephibosheth as the model father. Now, some of you will say, but wait a minute, preacher, what about all the problems that Mephibosheth had? Well, what about all the problems that you have? What about all the problems that I have? I'm glad you don't have to be perfect to be a good father. There is one that is perfect, and he's a perfect father. But I'm glad that you don't have to be perfect to be a good father. Let me say that the truths that we're going to look at this morning, and I know sometimes, ladies, on Mother's Day, I see all the daddies do it. On Mother's Day, they all turn off their hearing aids and they just scoot back. They figure, I'm going to preach to mothers and everything. One of these days, I'm going to flip it around on you. Because I know what's going to happen. All, all you, we got way more men here today than we got. All the ladies are hiding out. That's what's going on today. And uh, I'm going to flip it around sometime. And I'm going to show up on Mother's Day and I'm going to blast you daddies. And I'm going to show up on Father's Day and you better look out, mamas. But this morning, I think these truths can apply to mothers, to fathers. I think they can apply to aunts and uncles, to grandparents. Or even if God has just placed you with an emphasis and an influence in someone's life. I believe there's some truths we can learn from Mephibosheth that will help us to fulfill that role that God has allowed us to have. You know, it's a valuable thing having input in a young person's life. Have you ever stopped? And I don't mean to sound like an after-school special. But have you ever thought about the, the astounding impact you can have on a young person? 
I mean, their entire framework is defined by what they hear from us, what they see from us, what they learn from us. I'm beginning to learn more and more as I watch the things that my son does. And I begin to see him picking up character traits, things that he sees in me. I'll give you, for instance, this that I'm doing right here. (laughs) Sometimes when he'll start talking, he'll start flinging those hands around, you know. But they watch everything that we do, and with that is a great responsibility. And we see in Mephibosheth a man that though he's not perfect, and though he has many problems, the Bible goes out of the way to say, that man was a daddy, and he did something right. Well, I want us to look at a few things this morning. I want you to notice first off with me, and maybe this is the easy place to start, because it's the most apparent thing in the life of Mephibosheth. Who knows what I'm going to say before we're all said and done. And many times I've got to say Mephibosheth this morning. We'll see where it winds up. But I want you to notice first off his flaws. Now you say, wait a minute, preacher. Are you telling me that it takes flaws to make a good father? No, I'm telling you that every good father has flaws. You see, we're all human beings. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. If you're waiting around until you're perfect to do the right thing, you're never going to do the right thing. Go ahead and do the thing that you know to do. And the things that you're unable to do, let God make up the hedge about those. You see, when we look at Mephibosheth, we see a profoundly flawed individual. I mean, this man had problems. He didn't just have his own problems. He had his own problems and your share is share and my share too. But we see in him a man that that the Bible points to and says, pay attention to him. Well, I want you to notice a few things. First off, I want you to notice his condition. Now, most of us, if you've ever heard any preaching on Mephibosheth, you've heard this talked about a lot. But we know how Mephibosheth got in the shape that he got in. In fact, the Bible tells us earlier on in chapter number 4, gives us a story that after they, uh, the nurse that was watching over Mephibosheth, after she heard of the death of Saul and Jonathan, that she went running away out of the city. And in the midst of that turmoil, she fell and Mephibosheth fell on his legs. And in some manner, in some way, he was injured that left him paralyzed for the rest of his life. All the rest of his days, he was characterized and defined by this malady that he carried with him. His condition was that of helplessness. He was, as many preachers have pointed out, he was injured in the fall. You know, that's a picture of the lost sinner. That's a picture of all humanity. You and I, we were injured in the fall. We weren't the ones that fell. And by the way, Mephibosheth was dropped. Right? Am I right? Now, y'all's worshiping good a second ago. Where are you at right now? It wasn't Mephibosheth that tripped, but he was the one injured in the fall. Adam was the one that sinned. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. But you and I, though we've not sinned after the similitude of Adam, we're still included in that fall, because the Bible says, And so death passed upon all men. You know why you're not perfect? Because you're a sinner, just like me. We don't sin, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's our nature. And let me tell you something, daddies, mamas, anybody in this room under the sound of my voice, you, go, you better just go ahead and come to terms with the fact that you're going to mess up sometimes. You're going to make mistakes sometimes. You don't have to be perfect to serve God. In fact, God's looking for those that are very imperfect to serve Him. You see, those that think they're perfect, because nobody is perfect, so those that think they're perfect, they're the ones God can't use. If you just go ahead and own up to the fact that you make mistakes, that you have flaws, let me tell you something. Can can I be honest with you? I hope so, because I'm going to either way. I have profoundly deep character flaws. I mean, nothing you don't know about, but I battle pride more than any man really ought to. 
I struggle with arrogance sometimes. I know you look at me, you think, surely somebody that ugly don't get arrogant. I struggle with those things. I struggle with insecurity at times. I, I, I struggle. Did you know sometimes I even, I know you're going to label me when I say this, but that's all right. Sometimes I struggle with my temper, with getting frustrated. We, were, we moved this, uh, this, this weekend. Let me tell you something. If you don't ever need Jesus in your life, you need him, you need him when you move. You need him when you move. And we was moving. And by the time we got done on, on I guess it was Friday night, Dad's just ready to get away from me. <laughs> See, me and Dad, we're a lot alike because that's what happens. Daddies, are you listening? That's what happens. The way you are is usually how your kids are going to be. And me and Dad, we're a lot alike. We get frustrated. We get irritated. We're both authoritarians in our personalities. We, we like to run the show. That's a character flaw sometimes, especially when you get two people in the same room moving the same couch and they're both going different directions. By the end of the evening, he was ready to get rid of me. I won't say I was ready to get rid of him because it's Father's Day. Any other day you ask me that, I might tell you that. I got character flaws. I got mistakes. You know why? Because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. If you came here today to hear a perfect man, you came to the wrong place. If you came to hear a preacher that don't ever make mistakes, that don't ever have to apologize, that doesn't ever have to swallow his pride, you came to the wrong place. Because I make mistakes. And guess what? You do too. If you're waiting around until you're perfect to do something for God, you're never going to do anything for God. God uses us in our weakness. In fact, you know what the Bible says? That His strength is made perfect in our weakness. We see Mephibosheth, His condition. He was a sin-fallen and sin-injured man. But then notice his confession. I, I, this has always struck me as interesting. You've probably always been struck by this too. It's interesting language. But whenever he goes into the presence of David, you know what he says? The first thing he says is, Behold thy servant. Behold thy servant. And then David says, I brought you here to show the kindness of God to you. And he says, Why would you look on such an one as I, just a dead dog, as I am. Let me tell you something. Mephibosheth was not only imperfect, he knew he was imperfect. And he acknowledged that he was imperfect. I'm at the beginning of the road when it comes to this parenting thing. I ain't even had much time to mess him up yet. But can I give you something that I have learned more by, the, more by observing wiser men than me? Go ahead and let your kids know that you make mistakes because they're going to find out one way or another. There's going to come a day they're going to realize that you make mistakes, that you mess up. So go ahead and own up to it now. I'm not saying every time you mess up, I'm not saying air your dirty laundry. But you know that a lot of homes are wrecked because folks just won't admit they're wrong sometimes. You know, you know why generational trends happen? Generational cycle? You know what that is? That, uh, that's my daddy was a drunk, so I'm a drunk. My kid's going to be a drunk or whatever it might be. You know why that is? Because of pride. People won't admit that they've messed up their life. And they don't want their kids to mess up their lives. The greatest thing I could hope for beyond salvation for my son would be that he'd never make any of the mistakes that I have made. But he will make those mistakes if I don't warn him of them. If I won't own up to the mistakes I've made and say, Son, I did some things wrong in life. Don't do the things that I've done. 
He's got the same personality as me. He's got the same big mouth as me. He's got the same meanness as me. There's every reason in the world to believe he'll walk the exact same path that his daddy has unless I own up to my mistakes and just go ahead and tell him, Son, I'm not perfect and I make mistakes. Mephibosheth, and we don't know, but I, I would just imagine that Mephibosheth, when the, when the cart rolled up to Lodabar and they were loading him up, I'd just imagine that he probably said, be sure and grab my son Micah. Very likely, Micah was standing in the room and he heard his daddy say this. You say, didn't that stunt his self-image? No. You know what it did? It made him realize just how good the king was. It made him realize just how good the king was. When Mephibosheth said, look, I'm a dead dog. I'm worthless. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. And Micah sat there and said, my, my. If the king could love my daddy, maybe the king could love me. Maybe the king could love me. It's high time we start letting our kids know that we're imperfect, that we sin, that we're flawed individuals. But there's a God in heaven that's never sinned, that's never made a mistake, that has no flaws, that loves us and He'll love them. Then notice this, and I'm not even preaching yet, (laughs) but notice His continuance. It's at the end of verse 13, at the very end. Again, one of these things the Bible goes out of its way to tell us. And you know what it says about Mephibosheth? That for the rest of his life, he was lame on both his feet. Now, the same God that could tug on the heartstrings of King David to send a cart down to pull him out of Lodabar is the same God that could have healed him of his malady. That's not what happened. The Bible goes out of its way to denote this truth, that not only was he a flawed individual, not only did he acknowledge that he was a flawed individual, but he remained a flawed individual. The rest of his life, he still dealt with those same problems. You know, what, you know what the problem just in general in Christianity is? We've got this whole mask-wearing hypocrisy fakeness about us where you ignore my problems, I'll ignore your problems, and we'll pretend we ain't got no problems. Then a lost man walks in off the street and says, I've got all these problems, what can I do with them? And we smile with our Sunday morning Christianity and say, I don't know, we ain't got no problems in here. No wonder we're so ineffective. No wonder we're so ineffective. Let me tell you something. You're a sinner and you may be saved by God's grace. You know what that makes you? That makes you a sinner saved by God's grace. And as long as you live in this wicked, atomite, fallen flesh, you'll keep making mistakes. You never outgrow making mistakes. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how much you think you know. I don't care how big your bank account is. I don't care how much authority you have. We all continue to make mistakes. That's why it's so important that we own them so that we don't transfer all of our bad habits and behavior on to these precious and fresh lives that don't have any of that baggage. We see his flaws. Here's where it gets fun. You ready? We see his faith. You see, having flaws doesn't make you a good daddy, but all good daddies do have flaws. Having flaws don't make you a good mama, but all good mamas, they do have flaws. What was it that made him a good daddy? It was his faith. That's what changed Mephibosheth. We see his faith explicitly in three things. And I'll go ahead. I don't know if you're just not having fun or what, or maybe I got something stuck to my forehead. But if you ain't going to help me no better than that, we'll just close out here in a minute, all right? I'd I'd rather just sit at the Shoney's than have you just stare at me. And you'd probably rather sit there with me. At least then you'd be eating. Amen? 
But I want you to notice three things about his faith that I think are profoundly important. Notice, first off, his trust. Now, remember, Micah is sitting here watching all of this. He's watching the behavior of his daddy. He's seeing something that he's never seen before. And the first thing that he sees is the trust that Mephibosheth exhibited. You know what Mephibosheth's fear was, don't you? Usually when a king went to the throne, he killed everybody else that might have a right to that throne. Saul had died. Jonathan had died. Mephibosheth was the next in line for the throne, for the crown that sat on David's head. And Mephibosheth had every reason to believe that when that cart, that royal carriage pulled up outside of his door, he had every reason to believe that David was looking for his head and that he was going to kill him. But you know what he did? I like this. He looked around at where he was at. And you know what I think he said to himself? Well, it just couldn't get any worse. I can either sit here and die a slow death, or I can go to the king and die a quick death. You know when a sinner gets born again is when they finally look around and wake up to where they're at and say, you know, I'm headed for death either way. I, 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 don't, I don't like this whole taking a chance on the Lord. I, I, I understand that, but, but that's really what the sinner is doing. That's what faith is. Faith is counting God faithful that promised and saying, though I have no reason to believe this, I will trust the Word of God and I'll climb into the carriage and I'll go to the king's palace. That's what faith is. Micah saw his daddy do that. You know what he learned? He learned this, that David was to be trusted. You say, how do, how do I reach my kids, preacher? I've got kids that are lost and undone. What can I do? You just live your faith in Christ in front of them. And that will do more than any lecturing or sermonizing will ever do. Don't get me wrong. I mean, a word fitly spoken. There's times God opens a door to say things and they need to be said. But you can say all you want to say. If you're not living it, it won't mean anything to them. Micah looked up and he, he learned this. Well, I guess the king's to be trusted. You know what our kids need? They need to look at our lives and say, well, I guess the king is to be trusted. I guess he's to be trusted. You know, we didn't have enough money to make ends meet. And Daddy prayed and God answered. I guess the king's to be trusted. My uncle or my aunt, they're lost. And Daddy was praying for them and begging God for their soul. They fell under Holy Ghost conviction and God saved them. I guess the king can be trusted. Mommy and Daddy were falling on hard times, fussing and fighting. And they prayed and begged God to do what they couldn't do and fix what they couldn't fix. And now we have a happy home. I guess the king can be trusted. We see his trust, but notice his transformation. I'm not going to take the time to read it. You can read it in your own time. But he goes from being broke and hopeless and helpless in Lodabar, just waiting for the next famine to drive him to a slow, painful starvation death. And now all of a sudden, he's at the king's table. He's still lame on both of his feet. But now he's a king's son. His life was forever changed that day. He was never the same. And Micah saw that. We were sitting uh, in, in the house. Most of you all know we... we Lord blessed us, and we bought a new house. And, and we spent the first... Uh, Friday night was the first night. Last night was the second night. And uh, LB, you know, he ain't never been in a house that big. And it, it, we've got... The house kind of makes a loop. You can run through the, through the kitchen to the den, to the living room, to the dining room, kitchen. You can make a loop. And the first thing we did... Now, this is the difference between a kid and an adult. First thing I did was I sat down like near passed out. 
First thing he did when he got in there is just start running and running and running and running and running. I don't know when we'll have to replace carpet in the rest of the house, but that loop right there, she's going to have to go soon. He's about to wear a dirt track there. And he just loves it. It's all new to him and it's all different. And he knows things are different. He knows things have changed. You know, the best thing we can do for our kids is we can talk about what God did in our lives and say, kids, you can't see much, but you can see things are different. You know the old song, coming home, daddy was a drunkard, but he don't live here no more. Calvary changed it all and made him a new man. Don't you know that Mephibosheth would sit down with Micah and say, now, Micah, before you get tucked into that big goose down bed tonight, you remember we're in the king's house. Before you scoot up to the table and you take that fork and knife in your hands and you get ready to eat, you remember we're eating the king's food. And it's all because the king had pity on us. And he changed our life. Then notice not only his transformation, but notice the table that he sat at. Now, we're going to go spiritual here. You ready? wish I had a button to put. It made some noises and some lights. So I'd say we're going to go spiritual. You know, but I don't. Bill knows. He knows. But the table that he sits at, you see, the table is a place of fellowship. And Mephibosheth, the Bible says, sat at the king's table continually. 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 We're going to see here in a moment what happened when the king's table moved. But while the king's table was there, Mephibosheth was there. Let me tell you something. Unfaithfulness don't make good daddies. It just doesn't. You, you, know, you know what I found to be true? Listen carefully. If you go to church every other Sunday, don't expect your kids to be there more than Christmas and Easter. You show up on Christmas and Easter, don't expect them to ever be there. I'm just telling you, what we do in, mo- in, in moderation, others do in excess. If we're unfaithful in moderation, they'll be unfaithful in excess. If the only time you pray is over a meal, don't expect your kids to ever pray. The only time you read the Bible is the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2 at Christmas, don't, don't expect them to even own one. You see, they're watching you. They're learning from you. And you know what Mephibosheth learned? Or Micah learned from Mephibosheth? Learned that, that there was value in staying at the king's table. Value in staying at the king's table. You know the greatest thing you can teach your children or your children's children, or your, your siblings, whoever it might be, you know the greatest thing that you can teach them is to stay in constant fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not a single spiritual problem we face that cannot be solved with constant fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He said, without me, ye can do nothing. Sounds to me like with Him we could do anything. We just need to stay with Him. We see the table, and and notice this. I want you to notice not only his flaws and his faith, but notice his fortitude. Now here, we're going to look at a couple places, and then I'm done. Notice first off the food that he ate. He was determined to stay in fellowship and to keep his family in fellowship. You know, the only thing that anybody can really ask of you is just to stay faithful to the Lord. And you'd be amazed what it'll do for your home if you'll just stay faithful to God. You don't like, you know the problem? We as men, we're conquerors. That's what we are. 
If we have a choice between going through a drive through or going out in the woods and beating something to death and dragging it back in with our teeth, we'll do that. We're conquerors. That's our nature. That's what we long to do. And we always want to conquer the world. And we always want to straighten everybody out. And we always want to fix everything. If you just stay faithful in your home, you may not conquer the world, but you can conquer your home for the Lord Jesus Christ. You can make your home what it needs to be. We see the food that he ate. But notice not only the food, but I want you to notice the focus that he had. Here's, uh, turn with me to chapter 19. Just a few pages over. Turn over to chapter 19. I thought this was interesting. I don't know if you will or not, but I think it is. And look down at verse number 24. Now, Absalom has stolen the throne from David. I told you a moment ago that, I, I, that here in a moment we'd talk about when the king's table left. Well, here it's leaving. Absalom, the son of David, has stolen the throne from David, and David has gone into exile. When he goes into exile, Ziba, who you must remember was the servant of Saul, Ziba tells Mephibosheth, says, wait here, I'm going to go get a, a horse for you to ride on, and when I come back, I'll get you and we'll follow David. Ziba does not do that. Ziba instead goes to David and says this, Mephibosheth has forsaken you, and he's looking to take the throne back. And he lies about Mephibosheth. And so Mephibosheth is left in Jerusalem when everyone else leaves. And listen to what the Bible says. Look at verse number 24. The Bible says, and, well, if I can get over here. The Bible says, and Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. David has returned. And had neither dressed his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. And it came to pass, when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore winnest not thou with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass, that I may ride thereon and go to the king, because thy servant is lame. And he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? And the king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said, Thou and Ziba divide the land. You see, when Ziba had came and told David that, David said, All that was Mephibosheth's is now yours. David thinks that Mephibosheth is is begging him to restore the land. David says, don't speak any more of it. You and Ziba divide the land. Listen to what he says. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all. For as much as my lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. You see the food that Mephibosheth ate, but notice the focus that he had. When the king leaves, you know what he does? He's been left behind. Ziba has lied about him. He's stolen everything that belongs to him. Mephibosheth cares nothing for that. You see, Mephibosheth is now in the same place he was in when he was in Lodabar, but he's in Jerusalem. The king that had promised him so much has been kicked off of his throne. The land that had been restored to him has been robbed from him once again. But you know what Mephibosheth is worried about? He's just worried about getting back in the presence of the king. And he doesn't trim his beard... He doesn't, I'm not mourning anything, by the way. He doesn't trim his fingernails, his toenails. 
Doesn't brush his hair. I don't know if they brushed their teeth, but he probably didn't do that either. And he makes this commitment. I'll not be okay when the king's not around. Did you hear that? He says, I won't be okay if the king is not around. You know what you ought to want for your family more than anything? More than anything. Listen, I, I, I believe we ought to provide for our family. I believe we ought to try to be good for our family. My heart swells just like your heart swells. We sit in that house we just bought, and I think to myself, this will be good for Lawrence one day. I want to provide for him. But you know the greatest thing that I can do is live in the presence of an Almighty God and determine that I won't live without the presence of an Almighty God. David says, well, you and Zeba just divide the land. Mephibosheth said, I don't care about the land. I just want you here. You know, you know the problem? It's about to get bumpy. You know the problem? We're worried about the land and we don't care that the king's gone. We're so worried about providing. We, we want our child never have to, to, to do without the things we had to do without. We turned out all right, didn't we? I, I'd say this. I'd say America can't survive prosperity, wouldn't you? Because the more prosperous we've got, the more wicked we've got. I'm not saying money is intrinsically evil, but I am saying that the love of money is the root of all evil. And we're so worried about them going through, getting their degree, having the nice car, having the nice home, having the nice clothes, never having to do without. You know what it'd serve you better to do? If you just get it in your head, I don't care if they're broke, I don't care if they're hungry, I don't care if they live in a box, I don't care if they don't have the nicest car, but if I can just get the presence of God in their life and teach them to live with the presence of God, that's what they need. I found this to be true. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. If they learn to get a hold of that, they'll have everything they need. Daddies, it's, it's time, you know? How much worse are we waiting for the world to get before we wake up and realize it's time? Game time is over. we got to start taking a stand. we got to start doing the right thing. we got to start setting some standards in our homes and in our lives. we got to start getting a hold of God and not letting go of Him every time some little bump in the road comes along. See, Mephibosheth, Micah saw that. Don't you know, he'd sometimes come to him and he'd say, Daddy, what's wrong? Fibbesheth say, the king's gone. Son, we're not going to be okay till the king gets back. We're not just going to act like everything's all right till the king gets back. You know the problem with a lot of churches is that the presence of God left that church 20 years ago and they just act like everything's okay. Everything's okay. It's all right. We'll just keep printing bulletins. We'll just keep singing choir songs. We'll just keep passing the plate. and We'll just act like everything's okay. Mephibosheth said, no, sir, that'll not do for me and mine. I won't be okay till the king's presence is here. Once the king gets here, go ahead, take the land, sell the land, sell the servants. I don't care. The king's here, and that's all that I need. That's all that I need. Let me tell you something. If we'd make a greater priority of the presence of God than we made of fiscal security and of, and of educational well-being, we'd be a lot better off. And then notice finally, and I'm done, Notice the fighting that he did. Now, some of you are going to say, preacher, fighting. He's he's a paralytic. How how did he fight? What did he do? Well, this is interesting. You don't find Micah's name very often, but you will find it in 1 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 34. Where the Bible says this. The Bible says, And Jonathan married Baal, and that married Baal 
begat Micah. Now, I'm not a smart man, you understand. But I do understand this. You have Jonathan and Micah, father or grandfather and grandson, and in between them, a man by the name of Meribel. We know this Jonathan is the son of Saul. Verse 33 tells us explicitly this is the son of Saul. So we're to understand this from it. Evidently, Mephibosheth had a second name that he went by. This is not unusual in the Bible. In fact, this is true of Gideon. Gideon, we know him by the name Gideon, but he took the name Jerobbaal later in life, which means someone that fights or pleads, rather, someone that pleads against Baal and intercedes against Baal. Most of you know about Baal worship. It was the, the, the dominant paganism or idolatry uh, in that day in the land of Israel. And uh, the uh, servants of, uh, of Ahab were uh, prophets of Baal. You remember when Elijah prayed, God dropped fire from heaven on the altar, and Elijah went and slew the prophets of Baal. Mephibosheth evidently somehow gained a bit of a nickname later in his life, and it was the name Meribel. Now, what does Meribel mean? Well, it means this. Isn't this strange? It means fighter against Baal, or contends with Baal. What an unusual name for Mephibosheth. I've got to have a little sanctified speculation here. I hope that's okay. But I know this. The name you're born with, you're just born with. I mean, your parents give it to you. Most people don't even know what their name means anymore, and it don't matter. My parents named me Toby. People ask me, say, is that short for... No, no, it ain't short for nothing. It's just Toby. And I was named after a child in a book that ran away to join the circus. That's right. It's all right. Brandon was named after a waiter at a steakhouse, so it could always be worse, you know. Inevitably, you've heard me say this, I know many of you have, but inevitably when, when I tell people my name, the first thing they do, I'll say, my name's Toby Weber, and they'll go, oh, I had a dog named Toby. <laughs> always, every time. I had a dog named Toby. Well, thanks. I had a kidney stone named after you, you know. I mean, what do you say to that? You see, the name that you're given at birth, your parents pick something out. But a nickname is usually something that you earn. Something that you earn. In some way, there was something Mephibosheth did in his life that made men look at him and say, let's call him Baal Fighter. Let's call him one that contends against Baal and against false worship. We don't really know how he got the name, but we know how he didn't get the name. We know he did not get the name in the same way that Gideon did. Gideon would go and smash the groves that were used to worship Baal, you remember. But Mephibosheth couldn't do that. We know that he was not a mighty and valiant warrior. We know that he wasn't like Elijah. He didn't take all of the prophets of Baal down to the brook Kidron and and slay 450 of them. We we know that he didn't do that because he couldn't. But in some way, whether through his political influence in being the grandson of a former king and the adopted son of a present king. Maybe just through the testimony of godliness in his life, through the intervention of the king, but in some way, you know what he did? He did what he could to fight against wickedness. He didn't do what he couldn't, and he didn't do what others could. He did what he could you know, part of the problem, you're waiting around till you can do everything to do something. And that's why you're doing nothing. You've got to do what you can. Some of you say, Preacher, what good is it? 
I'll never straighten the world out. No, no, you'll never straighten the world out, but you can get your family in church. You can get your family in church. You may not be able to get the world to pray, but you can get your family to pray. That's what a good daddy does. He don't worry about conquering the world. He just worries about winning the victory in his family. I don't know how he got the name, but I know that Micah, as he grew older, he could look back on his broke-down, paralyzed, dead dog of a daddy and say he did something that mattered. There was still bell worship afterwards, but I guarantee you there wasn't bell worship in his family. The world's going to do what the world's going to do. Some of you say, well, what's the point in giving standards to my kids? The world don't live that way. No, but see, we're trying to keep them separate from the world. We're trying to make them different. Not strange, not weird. They're that on their own. Different. You want them to wind up like the world winds up? You want them to wind up hooked on drugs? Crashing their car in a drunk driver? You want them to do that? Wind up broke down and wrecked by sin? No. No. Of course... The world, you can't conquer the world, but you can make an influence in your family. You can do the right thing in your family. So here's the question What are you going to do for your family? So, all my kids are grown and gone, preacher. You got grandkids? You got great grandkids? You got nieces? You got nephews? You got a neighborhood kid that comes by your way and talks to you while you mow the lawn? And you got somebody you can have an influence on. And so the question is, what will you do with that influence? Not a perfect man, preacher, nor am I, nor was Mephibosheth, but he was a good daddy. So will you do what you need to do to be who you need to be for those that are looking to you? Their heads bowed with their eyes closed. As a musician comes, the altar's open. And I want you to come down. I want you to pray if God's touched your heart. Maybe God's just encouraged you this morning to live for the Lord, that you're doing the right thing. You know, we need encouragement as we live for the Lord. It gets discouraging sometimes. Maybe you just need to ask God to give you strength to to live for Him, to be an influence. And I can tell you right now, myself included, we got some fresh daddies in here. We got daddies with some on the way. We got daddies with some that just got here. We got daddies like me with some that have been here a little bit. We got a lot on us. We've got a lot on us. How committed are we to live for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we, are we, it's going to take commitment. It's going to take commitment. Why don't you come down and commit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ? Ask Him to help you to make your home what it needs to be.